0: Again, happy Mother's Day. Welcome to church on Sunday morning. We're glad you're here. Um, Sunday for Mother's Day automatically brings up a lot of thoughts about my mom and my mom. And your mom. Um, and John and I have been married for six years, but we've been together for almost 10 years actually this fall. So we've gotten to know each other's families fairly well. And it's kind of crazy, even though we grew up in super different places, our moms are really similar it's kind of freaky yeah so we sent cards to our moms because his mom's in indiana my mom is in new york so we sent them for mother's day because we couldn't be with them and uh we sent your mom money to lowe's so that she could get some stuff for her garden big gardener and we sent my mom some money too so she could buy some flowers for her porch because that's (laughs) something she loves to do every year so they're both big like outdoor flower gardening type of people um they're probably around the same age we won't say how we won't tell you. But they we'll are
1: at the okay.
0: <laughs> They are. They are around the same age. Um, and something else that I realized was similar. I just realized this a couple weeks ago when we were in Indiana for your sister's wedding, is that they both have fine china. So they both have when you walk into their house in different areas, they both have this huge hutch that has very, very breakable and probably expensive. Can't run it through the dishwasher China that they both use. For special occasions.
1: Right. Which is interesting because the more I've gotten to know both our moms, it's like a very, very intentional decision to use that China. So it's never mm-hmm. like just kind of happenstance. And uh what's interesting to me is that just like that decision is one, uh an important decision, we make thirty-five thousand decisions a day. Now, it's Mother's Day, so I'm going to give you mom's credit. It probably is, like, triple that if you have kids because you're making decisions for your kids as well. But that's a lot of decisions, and it would be really, really weird for our moms to bring out China. At, like, our seventh birthday. Birthday, birthday. yeah. At, my, I don't know if our moms Christmas. love us that much. <laughs> like, it's, it's a very, very special thing. It's graduations, it's weddings, it's Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. things like that. And, and it's a very, very specific decision, it's honoring someone or something. And the same is true even about discipleship. Now, the the term discipleship means to follow Jesus. And really, Lindsay and I talked about this over the last week, is discipleship really happens one decision at a time. Mm -hmm. It's a progression of decisions. You can look back on your life spiritually and see that you are basically the sum of all your discipleship decisions thus far. And uh, Mark, the Gospel writer, is leading us through a journey. If you've been with us for the last couple of months, we've been walking through the Gospel of Mark. And today we're in Mark 14. Uh, we're skipping ahead because this story just fits so well with the time we're in. Uh, and then we're going to go back to where we were in the story. So Mark 14, starting in verse 1, if you have a Bible or a device, I encourage you to pull it out and read it along with us. Here's what Mark writes. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. Seems like a weird reason not to kill someone, but that's what they they're want thinking. To ruin the party. Yeah, apparently not. Verse <laughs> 3 While he was in Bethany, which we know Jesus loved Bethany, it was about 20 minutes away uh, from Jerusalem. He would go there often to retreat, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper. A woman came with an alabaster jar, very expensive perfume, made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those were present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages. Which is a lot of money. And the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. They condemned her. They even convicted her. Why would you do this? But here's what Jesus responds. This is not how you always think that he was going to respond, but this is how he responds. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor, you will always have with you. And you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured out this perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my wedding ceremony, prepare for my party. No. No. Jesus doesn't say that. He says to prepare for his burial. He's thinking about the cross. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel, the good news, wherever it's preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. He doesn't convict her. He actually memorializes her. He makes her a bigger deal. But watch what happens. This is a dividing decision. Verse 10, Then Judas Iscariot 1 of the 12 went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this because they were planning all along to kill Jesus. They were delighted and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over, hand Jesus over to fulfill this death plot that the Pharisees had had been stewing on for for a long time. Now, the Passover festival and the, the setting of this, and we've talked about this in other teachings, the Passover would have attracted around five times the normal population that Jerusalem held. And this is the reason Jesus probably was in Bethany about 20 minutes away, Mm -hmm. because he's trying to escape the the noise of the city. Now, this is about a 30-minute walk. And in this story, more than Jesus, the two primary characters we find are Judas and Mary. And these are very different characters in the story. See, Judas sees what Mary offers, this moment of surrender, and it's a fork in the road situation for Judas. This is a defining decision in the story and eventually goes down
0: the wrong path. It's kind of cool because there's a huge uh, juxtaposition, if I can use that very big word. It is quite. (laughs) Is that there's this huge Passover festival, a big gathering, something we don't even know what it's like anymore, because we haven't been in a large group in months but like you said, probably five times the amount of people would have been around. So it isn't, sometimes I associate Passover with like the last supper, which is true and and very right. But I forget that outside of that room, there's thousands of people wandering around. And the cool thing about Mark chapter 14 is that this really starts to be the culmination of Jesus's life, because this story is just before he's handed over to be, uh, go on trial and then be crucified. So there's a lot that's kind of coming together in this chapter and especially in this story and you compare this large group with this battle of these two people that we're going to talk about more judas and mary but as people are coming into the town they're probably coming in for passover which would be normal but then they're also maybe recognizing that jesus is about to do something and something big is about to happen and so we forget sometimes that there's really this this audience around and the Pharisees, the religious leaders did not forget that because they say, you know, what is it exactly that they say? We plan to arrest him, but not during the festival or the people may riot. And part of what I mean when I say that this is a full culmination is all throughout the gospels, both in Mark and the rest of the gospels, you really see the Pharisees and Jesus calls the Pharisees out for saying one thing or acting one way, but being another way in their heart. Right. And so it's like, they have no issue Planning to murder the Son of God, but they don't want to disrupt the, you know, happy hour It has
1: to be done in (laughs) a politically correct way. Yeah, Yeah.
0: it's it's just, you know Again and again and again, even as Jesus has called them out and rebuked them for it They still have this heart of I can Do what I want to do as long as it looks good on the outside, you know I'm a, a white picket fence home, but inside there's brokenness and hurt and anger um, mm-hmm. and, and it's, it just continues. It just seems like no matter how many times Jesus addresses it, it's still happening. And we move on to verse three, which again, I like to call like the grand slam of the wrong things that Jesus has done throughout wrong things that Jesus has done throughout the whole gospels. Cause it says, while he was in Bethany, reclining at the table of the home of Simon, the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. So when you read that, it's like, okay, Jesus is at the home of someone who's unclean, which Mm -hmm. everybody hates and doesn't condone being at somebody's home if they're unclean and leprosy would for sure be unclean. Um, And then a woman approaches him, which a woman out of place or coming in unannounced or interrupting a rabbi while he was resting, for sure a no-go. And then she takes a very expensive jar of oil or perfume and she pours it on his head, which is a total waste of a resource. So boom 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 set up for an awesome or terrible situation. And and verse 4 says some of those who were present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It would have been sold for more than a year's wages. Now it says in Mark some of these were present, but if you look in the book of John it actually addresses and says Judas. Right. So Judas and the disciples are some of those people that are getting after Mary for doing this, for pouring the perfume on Jesus's head. And you have to wonder, especially since we know the end of the story, I mean, you read the whole passage and we even know what happens after, is why did Judas go after Mary like that? Was he jealous Mm -hmm. of her sacrifice? Was he offended? Was he just genuinely, was he like a crazy budgeter? And he's like, oh no, that could have paid your rent and your utilities for the next six months. Like, where is that? coming from but ultimately when we can see the whole story we see the incredible irony and maybe that's the word i should have been using all along just the irony of this passage because judas is criticizing her and saying you're wasting money but what we know is that judas is going to go on just i guess we don't know the full timeline but maybe and a couple days later or a couple hours later and he's gonna waste his whole life because he's gonna betray Jesus and then we end up you know seeing what will unfold so it's just a very interesting back and forth I think well, I think it's interesting
1: too because why what what about that scene really we don't know exactly what it was was it like you said was it the emotion was it uh, the waste of money was it that decision And I think as you dig into the passage it's more about Judas has kind of this fork in the road decision of, am I really in or am I not? And that's, am I really going to be a disciple? Because in this story, Mary is displaying discipleship, all out, just full-on surrender to Jesus. And I think Judas sees what Mary offers, and it is this fork in the road, this defining decision. And these two characters are not pitted against each other by accident. Mark, the gospel writer, is actually trying to contrast this beautiful, even vulnerable, even to some degree, offensive act of Mary with the Jewish leaders and Judas' conspiracy plot and his own desire for wealth. Because betraying your rabbi was not only offensive to like Jewish readers, people reading this later, but this is the ultimate act of rebellion. I mean, you can't go any farther. If you've been in a relationship in which you've been cheated on or betrayed, you know that feeling. And this is that ultimate act of rebellion on Judas's part. But what I think is powerful is Mary's defining decision. We, we talked about discipleship happens one decision at a time. Mary makes the ultimate decision of surrender, not rebellion. And she senses what's happening in the story. That, that Jesus is going to the cross, and more than just kind of a nice thing to do, she does something outrageous, laying her 401k at Jesus' feet, and saying, you can have it all, and lays it down. And I think about even us, like Lindsay and I have been in this quarantine just like you have. I think for my own life, quarantine has made me face some of those daily decisions. Quarantine has made me think, why am I so stressed and hurried? Do I have just that nagging sense of worry when I wake up? I've gotta get things accomplished. I know for me, even my devotion time, my time alone with Jesus, was so rushed before this but now I have more margin and I've got more space and I've really enjoyed it and I don't want to lose it. There's even a sense for me thinking about this passage and thinking about just kind of my own having to face reality in my life of how much of my my life is focused on day-to-day things and missing out on are my, are my decisions leading me towards a deeper discipleship with Jesus. What about for you?
0: Yeah, well, ultimately what I think you're saying and what Mary says or what Mary does here and even what Judas does is that we, we hold on to what's valuable to us. You know, so time is so valuable to us as, as people in this, you know, time that we're in or even outside of it. It's like, how can I fit the most things possible in the shortest amount of time? Or how can I, you know, jam pack my day so that I'm the most effective or how can I multitask? So that I can do everything which ends up meaning I forget things and do things (laughs) wrong or break things or put things down and forget where I put them because I'm trying to do too many things at one time but our time is so valuable to us and even just in the quarantine season I get up and I walk 10 feet to my office now I don't drive 20 minutes to my office and when I'm done with work I get up and I walk 10 feet into the rest of my home and so God is said to me you know i've given you back that hour of your day where you're typically hurrying and rushing and get to work like those those excuses that you've had before um the reasoning that you know your time is more valuable given to other things than me number one that's not true and number two here i'm i'm literally clearing a path for you so that you can be more engaged with me and so then when we see what mary does we see how valuable it is i mean it wouldn't have been uncommon to break oil over the guest of somebody in a home, right? Like that's like a, a small amount. Yeah. It's a sign of honor, but for Mary to break open the whole thing, kind of like what you said, she's giving what is most valuable of herself, uh, to Jesus and she's giving it all. She's not giving it incrementally. She's not, you know, rationing it out so that she can give more. She's just, you know, cards across the table, chips in, like, I'm, I'm going for it. Mm-hmm. Jesus is the most important thing. Uh, to me and and the the coolest thing about it like i think it was really interesting what when you read that verse and you said you know she's preparing me for my what you say wedding right ceremony yeah. you know you're like no it's, that's what you know, think that's yeah. what you think but what is the burial you know she poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial you know mary has been around and the disciples have been around these are the two people groups or you know um, characters groups of people have been around jesus and know jesus probably more intimately than anybody else you know so both of them would have heard all the stories both of them knew the prophecies both of them heard jesus directly speak about his betrayal and crucifixion and resurrection but mary is the only one and i think it's a result of some of those decisions mary's the only one who gets it because she's preparing him for his burial and they're mad and he's jesus is saying you are doing Mary's doing exactly what yeah. what I asked her to do. Like, she's the one who gets it. And I think that the decision thing has a huge part to play in it.
1: And then it goes back to Jesus' initial calling of disciples, which was, come follow me. Like, basically, lay down your nets, lay down your fishing pole, lay down your business, and just surrender it all to me. And what's interesting is this story, because of where it's set in the gospel, we're about two chapters away from the close of Mark, mm-hmm. is that the disciples overreact it seems, because all up until this point Jesus said give to the poor, be compassionate, love the marginalized. He brought in women and children who would have been excluded, but what he's doing is not saying those things aren't important, That you because that's what they point out. Why, why don't we give this to the poor? And he says kind of this mysterious thing like, well, the poor will always be with you, which is just kind of weird. It's like, should I even try serving vulnerable people anymore? But what's happening, I think, And Mark points this out, and the more you dig into the text, you see it. Jesus is elevating this act. He's saying Mary's decision to surrender everything, to lay it down, is the ultimate kind of defining marker of discipleship. Because discipleship happens one decision at a time. He cherishes Mary's surrendered heart more than just handouts to people uh, begging on the street. He he cherishes the value Mary placed on him not only as a rabbi but this act of anointing was also what israelite kings would receive so she's saying that you are the king i'm surrendering everything to you and i'm going to follow you even if it means to a cross and it's a powerful story
0: it really is because i think so often when i read through this i just read through it on maybe a little bit of autopilot like okay this is what happens then yeah there's this weird part where mary pours perfume or oil on jesus's head but you know then we move on because the really important thing is that jesus goes to trial and but what a character battle here and and what a cool way for us to see ourselves either in mary's story or in judas's story of defining decisions that have led us one way or another you know because the truth is like i said is mary and judas both knew jesus in a way that was maybe more intimate or closer than a, a random person on the street you know uh but but they have such different like that fork in the road mary chooses to go full surrender because of her decisions and judas chooses to go full rebellion or full betrayal yeah. and you know both of them You, jesus says what does he say here that wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world what she has done will also be told in memory of her that's verse 9 of the of chapter 14. mary's remembered for this but you know, Jesus doesn't say this, but it kind of goes without saying, Judas is remembered too. So we think, oh yeah, Mary's going to be remembered because she did something good and she chose to make these defining decisions of discipleship towards Jesus. But Judas is also remembered for his defining decisions of discipleship away from Jesus. You know, we're remembered for one or the other, regardless of how we choose to, to pursue it, pursue Jesus. Right. Right. And it's interesting in this story, and
1: I'm sure you've caught this, and this probably is not the first time you've heard this passage, is that what immediately follows this moment is the Passover. And you alluded to this. The Passover is really a remembrance. The people of Israel, as in slavery in Egypt, God is going to pass over the Israelite people if they put blood on their doorposts as a sign of the sacrifice and ultimately pointing to the cross. And you may be sitting there and your life of decisions up on this point has not been that great. And even in the midst of quarantine, you felt more frustrated and angry. You've made bad decisions. Maybe you've even adopted bad habits in this time. I just want to remind you that Jesus uh, did not die and does not bring you redemption so that you can just sit there condemned for bad decisions. He's pointed you to a way through the power of the Holy Spirit, the, the hope of, the resurrection, that you and I can live a life of discipling decisions, because that's how it really happens, one decision at a time. And so I just want to remind you of that, no matter what you're facing. And frankly, for Lindsay and I, this last week has been the probably the most like we're over a week of quarantine we've had so far. Sure. Like we're ready for it to be done. And even if it gets extended, I want to make sure that you and I are living daily lives of discipleship, because it breaks down in those decisions so one of the questions we ask one another as we're working towards this and we want to ask it to you today what decisions do you need to stop making what are some things you need to lay aside what are some patterns of thinking or approaching crises or relationships that you need to lay down and say jesus help me stop making these decisions and that's one side of it now there's a lot of us who there's decisions we need to start making If discipleship really does happen one decision at a time, there needs to be discipling uh, moments in our day. There need to be ways, we talked about this, of, of starting our day with Scripture, starting our day in the presence of God, of starting our day being still before Him. And that's our hope for you, is that as you hear this teaching, you wouldn't walk away saying, man, I've made bad decisions, because we all have.
0: Right, and that doesn't... Can I interrupt you for a second? Please. Oh, I mean, we obviously, Judas made small decisions, Mary made small decisions, but it's never too late to start making different decisions. I think right. that's what you're saying, is, you know, Judas allowed himself to keep going further and further down the wrong path, but there's plenty of in- instances in the Bible where people went down the wrong path and then went right. I Think of Paul, I think of Peter. I mean, there's tons of them where people were making the wrong decisions and then decided, no, I'm going to start making small decisions. It's not a massive, Mm -hmm. sometimes it starts with a massive decision and then small ones follow, but it's also, you know, you're never too late to, to start, to stop making the wrong and start making the right.
1: Yeah. And that's what I think is powerful. Even all the way back to the prophets, Isaiah 30 talks about the Holy Spirit as a teacher and a guide and I don't want to gloss over the fact that you may be facing difficult decisions and maybe even just those daily habits are really hard to figure out. Here's what I want to say, you are off the hook (laughs) because you and I, if we are followers of Jesus and have surrendered our lives to the power of the spirit within us, and we are not alone, we are empowered by the very same spirit that raised Christ from the dead so that we can make discipling decisions one slow decision and sometimes one big decision yeah. at a time and it's significant so again that that's our hope for you that you would hear that and you would sense that any final words on that
0: i just think about in a very like un unbiblical way just hear me out i think about that with our house yeah i mean i'm looking around it's like one small decision at a time sometimes big like the decision to take a wall down or the decision to work on our floors so a lot of you've been a part (laughs) of that um but small decisions like what are we going to keep the black outlets are we going to do white outlets or you know uh maybe maybe not you know just little things that eventually add up to being the the house that we want and that's the same thing small decisions leading up to the the life in jesus that we want you know because our small decisions of obedience matched with his spirit it's it's an incredible way and the only way to live right
1: so what we want to do is just kind of close this time in prayer and i know i'd love to pray for you and we've been praying leading up to this moment that you would be encouraged in your decisions but also maybe for some of you you've never made a decision to surrender and follow jesus and we want to open up the door for you today uh, in a really, really simple way, I'm going to just pray. and I would encourage you in this space, maybe you're alone, maybe you're watching with kids on the couch, maybe uh, your kids start on the couch and they're not there anymore. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> but wherever you're at, maybe you're sitting here with a spouse, I want to invite you uh, just in a new way, maybe you followed Jesus before, maybe this is your first time, to just lay everything at his feet like Mary did and then make a decision to follow him and surrender to him today. And to be his disciple, so would you pray with me jesus i ask right now that as we're sitting wherever we're at whether it's in a living room or at a kitchen table or in an office or in a bedroom god our prayer is that through your holy spirit you would just remind us that you are for us that you are with us and that we truly can follow you one decision at a time so God, I pray right now for the person who has not yet made you Lord and Savior of their lives. God, I pray in the quietness of this moment, they would just sense your peace and that they would lay everything down, lay their sin behind, lay their wrong ways of living and thinking behind and take up your, your new life in them and receive that for the for maybe the first time. God, I pray that for everybody who's a part of our church and connected and growing and maturing. God, I pray that they would just sense your Holy Spirit's power in their discipleship today, that their decisions from here on out, maybe there needs to be some course correction. I pray that today you'd bring that correction. Maybe for some, it's just encouragement and motivation to keep pressing on. And for others, it's the slow reminder throughout a day that you are with them. So God, I pray that you help us to grow in that, and that by the power of your Spirit, we would live different lives, that we would come out of quarantine more resilient more strong more more hopeful more optimistic more resolved to follow you than we were before we pray in jesus name amen amen